as we're finishing up the new year, or the, the facing the new year, we're finishing up 2023 and looking out over another new year. Um, it's quite amazing uh, how quickly the year goes by. Uh, we spent the year, as Dan pointed out in his opening prayer, uh, with things to celebrate and just rejoice in and things that were very difficult and quite a bit, uh, quite a struggle for us to get through. The Lord has seen us through it all. And at the year, as it closed out, the, the one thing that impressed me the most that not only this church, but the world needs right now is peace. And that's what the Lord put on my heart several weeks ago, coming into these final three weeks, one in anticipation of Christmas and the arrival of the Prince of Peace, and the one preceding that was the promise of peace, all the prophecies that God would provide peace for us, and that he has, in fact, Christ has arrived, and now we look out over this new year in our, what the scripture is describing as a pursuit of peace. And so we'll look at that and what the scripture has to say about that. But what, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. We, first of all, I want to ask two questions. The first one, you know, I think I'm confident you know the answer to immediately, and that is, what is man's greatest need? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. He doesn't have a greater need. Spend just a moment thinking about that. Because if he was given everything else that he could ever want or he or she could ever want in their, in their lives, in this world, what they, none of it counts for anything if their eternal destiny is affected by their being departing this world without Christ. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness because we understand our situation as sinners. So man's greatest need is forgiveness. But what if I asked, what is man's greatest desire? It's a different question, isn't it? What's man's greatest desire? People might Im immediately think of material things or some favorite wish they've always had or something along that lines. But not the case, really. Man's greatest desire is peace. Because again, nothing else matters, no matter what they could accomplish or accumulate or accrue in their lives, successfully, they wouldn't have peace. And how many times have we seen the testimony of those who have been wealthy and had everything they ever wanted materially and they died in misery because they never knew a moment's peace? Yet in the body of Christ, we should understand this, that there is no real peace without our first need being met, which is forgiveness. That's when true and permanent peace comes, as we've been talking about it. So the, the peace that the world pursues, that we pursued before we knew Christ, is an elusive peace. It, it's, it's never enough. It's never satisfying. All the different things that people in the world search for to, to find peace they look in a number of different ways. They look to human relationships. Are the human relationships are harmonious? Is the marriage harmonious? Is the, is the parent-child relationship harmonious? Boss, employee, neighbor upon neighbor. Are those, are those if those, those relationships would work out, I would have peace. No, you wouldn't. Not permanent. You would have a cessation of conflicts. You, you would have... Uh, no more discussion or argument about the differences. 
Typically, the solution is to just part company. Maybe that's how I can find peace is just get a divorce or move to a different neighborhood or find a different job. It doesn't bring peace, does it? No. Because the problem is when I leave, what do I take with me? When I leave that marriage or I leave that job or I leave that neighborhood, what do I take with me? This nasty little heart. The problem's still there. And we lack peace. So some look to relationships, though. If, if, if these relationships would just work out, I would, have, I would have peace. And that's why it's elusive, because that's not actually or factually true. Some people um, look to wealth. They look to, if we could just get this paid off, or if we could just save up and be able to buy that, if I only had this car, or this house, or this computer, then I could have peace. I, I have no internal peace. I'm not at rest in me, because I don't have this elusive, again, plateau, if that even exists, of wealth, where I'll be finally at peace. As I said, even the wealthiest are not at peace. Or some people look to health. They're, they're, they, they, they're dithering over it. They're dithering over their health. They're tinkering with things. They're, they keep trying to dial in just the right uh, nutrition or just the right exercise or I've got to get my, it's all their peace. Is, is contingent on their physical health. Is that true? Do you think they'll ever arrive? No. What they'll be is paranoid at every little thing that happens. Okay, what, what went wrong? So if, if peace were attained by these things, you'd think that the richest people with wonderful relationships and great health would be the most peaceful, restful, calm, sweet people you ever met. And we're not finding that's the case. Now, we should understand that as, as a body of Christ who has the word of Christ that makes these things very plain and understandable to us. But yet, we find that there's this sort of tendency of ours, because we're fallen human beings, is to look to those same things for peace. If, if I could just get this, fill in the blank. Some, some people think that peace lies in orderliness. Mm -hmm. Ever know somebody like that? By the way, can you find yourself to some degree in all of these? Yeah. Yes. When I thought of orderliness, I was thinking of me. It's like, if I could just get you know, rid of the clutter, if I could just get this place cleaned up, if I could just have my shirts finally you know, all in a row and the blue ones here and the red ones there and my shoes all lined up, all shined and ready to go. If, if I could just get that garage clean. If I could just, <laughs> exactly. That's even better than amen. I love that. Oh, Lordy, it's right. It's my goodness. Or manicuring the lawn. It's like they're out there with scissors, Right? Not a weed eater or scissors, or they're, they're constantly tinkering because, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with taking care of the, is there anything wrong with orderliness? God is a God of order, isn't he? So, so don't mistake me, I'm not, I'm not picking on that, but what happens to our hearts when we think that if I don't have that yard perfect or my closet perfect, or if I don't have all of these things in, in order, then I'm just, I'm, I've got an anxiousness. I'm just not 
at peace. Well, your problem in the first place was thinking that peace is in any of these things. We got to stop doing that, don't we? So people define peace as the absence of something, don't they? The absence of conflict. Then I'll have peace, finally have peace. If my husband would just stop complaining, you know, if my wife would just quit nagging me, if the kids would just leave us alone, give us a little time alone, that's not where peace is found. Not the kind of peace that the Bible has available to us. I'm telling you, do a study on the Hebrew term shalom. Shalom isn't concerned about the absence of things. It's concerned about the, the completeness, the wholeness, the, the perfection of things. Well, how are we ever going to get that? <laughs> get ready for the gospel, right? It comes only one way. It comes through the Prince of Peace. It comes through Christ who's done all of those things. Why? So that you can dither over them now? No, so that you can let them know, knowing that they're fully satisfied in him. Is there greater wealth than the inheritance of Jesus Christ? Is there greater orderliness than what we would find in heaven? Greater health. <laughs> greater wealth. Greater neighborhood. No. And that's all yours in Christ why do we have to learn these things? Why do we have to think as soon as the hostility stops, as soon as the chaos, if the riots, riots would be over, as soon as, could somebody please plug that, that sea of people that are coming over the border? If that would just be stopped, I would know peace. It's amazing the things that we find ourselves dithering over as though there's a political party that's gonna, you haven't thought that, have you? There's this particular political party that's going to do that for you? Yeah, I thought so. You need to stop that. It's not going to happen. Why? Because political parties of all stripes are made up of what? Sinful people. Yes, like the rest of us. So where do we find it, this elusive peace? It eluded me before I knew Christ. I looked everywhere for it turned up the noise of my life, couldn't turn it up loud enough, thought it was going to be in social situations, social relationships. They fail. They fail. Sometimes our fault, sometimes somebody else, but they fail. And God uses that to show us your problem was looking to those things for your peace, for your contentment, for your fulfillment, for meaning in life, when all of those things are found in me. All of them. Your identity there's no confusion with the identity of a Christian. You know exactly where you find your identity. It's in him. It's in him. Amazing what we can do. Besides, if you think about it, I mean, just rationally, there is no such thing as a calm, quiet, careful, free life. No, if, if you had that, you'd end up getting what? Come out. What is it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You get bored, right? And then that would erupt, disrupt your peace. Be like, oh, man, I can't take the calmness. Who, I got to find somebody to fight with. <laughs> it's crazy. It's nutty. It's just too quiet. 
Oh, help us, Lord. The Bible anticipates that we're going to have trouble, doesn't it? it? It doesn't say that you should pursue these things in and of themselves. No, it actually says, here's what you're going to have, and here's where you'll actually find shalom. Remember how Jesus ended his long, final teaching session with the disciples? John chapter 13, the Last Supper, all the way through the end of chapter 16, before he goes into the high priestly prayer, he ends with this in John 16, 33. Listen to his final message. Here's what he says. And he's saying that to us in this, his house, right now. He's saying, I have said these things to you, all that he taught, all that he taught about the gospel and everything else, all of those, so that, here's the purpose, in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have what? Trouble, tribulation, yes, sir. Affliction. But take heart. Don't you love it? Take heart. What does he say after that? I have overcome the world. So that's how we find peace. We find it in Christ because he has overcome the world. He, he was never phased. You remember as we're looking through John and we're going through these discourses, he had every reason to get rankled, to get ruffled, to be upset, to walk away and say, you guys are hopeless. How long he, he endures us, doesn't he? Aren't you thankful for his patience? Oh my goodness. So true, true peace, actually, then, in that sense, because of something external that took place, it created an internal peace in us. The external event was what? The crucifixion and the resurrection. See, I have done it. Tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. Stop dithering. I've done it all. We have absolutely no reason to go into this next year with anything short of joy in our hearts. We have every reason to be filled with joy. Oh, but you don't know what I'm going through. There you go. We lost you. <laughs> I'm talking about me, right? But you know what I'm talking about. Don't say, yeah, you. This shalom idea, is, it means wholeness, completeness. It means content. It means safety. It means provision. It means you have everything. It means an absolute and perfected contentedness. If, if at any time you ever walked up to a person who fully embraced shalom and said, what can I get for you? You know what? Nothing. Sometimes we'll say that just as a courteous retort, right? It's just, oh, nothing. No, but I mean, really, I can't think of anything. At Christmas time, and you ask somebody, what is it you need? I want to get you a Christmas gift. You know what? I don't need anything. I already have way more than I could ever use, but we won't go into that. <laughs> right? We have plenty of stuff. Look at my garden shed. Look at the loft above the garage. Look in our attic. No, please don't. <laughs> Actually, come over and help yourself. <laughs> help, you'd be helping me. It's a beautiful idea. It's not 
contingent. It's not dependent on outside circumstances. Aren't you glad about that? Only if you let it. The worst thing that can happen to us is what? We die. That's actually what? The best thing that can happen to you and I in Christ. Has the idea of harmony, of things being harmonious, things just clicking together in the relationships, in your heart, in your understanding that something that you imagine should work out this way doesn't work out, you still have a smile when it doesn't work out because you're like, thank you, Lord. Why? Because if, I'd have, if I could have possibly stepped outside of your ordained will and caused it to occur, who knows the shipwreck that would have come. We, we need to tell that to our young people that are considering marriage. Be glad if the Lord providentially has moved this other person out of your life because who knows what the train wreck could be if you would have said, no, I have to be married to this person. No, this is shalom, not dependent on circumstances. And this con condition, as I've said over and over again, is found only in Christ. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 is beautiful support of that idea. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. He's rewriting in his epistle later on what he wrote in his uh, gospel. Jesus had over, said he overcame the world. John didn't forget that when he wrote his epistle. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our what? Our faith. That's the key. That's the key to shalom. That's the key that unlocks its availability to us. It's faith. It's pistis in the Greek, and it's used for faith, and it's also used for what? Belief. That's right. I believe what you have said. So no matter what happens to me, I can be in perfect peace. I can embrace shalom. Because I know you want shalom for me. You want the best. That's why they would say shalom to each other. Whether they were coming or going, same greeting, same departure. Shalom. You want the best for them. A completeness, a wholeness. Everything that they could ever want or need, as God defines that need, in Messiah, in Jehovah. That's it. Who is it, he goes on in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? By the way, this is the third time he said this in those two verses. Overcomes the world. Overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes. So you have the same word. Faith, belief, same thing. The one who believes. This is the key. He's telling us how to get that. You will never be fully contented, fully at peace, attaining a quiet mind, a calm spirit and a hope-filled, joy-filled heart unless and until you understand this as the key. It's by faith believing. That's John's whole gambit for writing this gospel. That's what he says in chapter 20 when he's closing it out. These things that he's writing that we might what? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he says. And all that comes with that, 
So it's not the elimination of discord, as in Herit Magazine, the Jewish magazine that was designing that, uh, defining shalom for me. I was picking some things apart. I'm like, they still believe in the same definition, only they've missed the Messiah, at least up to this point. He's going to come back and introduce himself to his people. This is a direct quotation. Not merely as the elimination of discord, but as the harmony and true functioning of the body of Christ. If everyone in the body of Christ or even in one single local church could pursue this, and it takes pursuit, we'll see that as we go on. You'll see it from Scripture, from God's own word. It must be pursued. As we're looking over a new year, this must be pursued. If you let it go on autopilot, it ain't going to happen. What do we do on default setting? Well, we fight. We have jealousies. We have petty bickerings. We, we murmur. We complain. We whine. That's what we do. If you do not pursue or understand your call to have a full-throated, full-court press after peace, it will elude you, even though it's available by profession of your faith. Shalom. I love that this Hebrew magazine defines it also as carrying with it the implication of permanence because you see, those ways of seeking peace in the world are what? Temporary. You might get the kids to quiet down at some point. That's not peace because that's what they're going to do eventually. Wake up, right? Yeah. You're not going to have permanent peace because you and your spouse have worked out something that was an area of contention for you. No, you're not. That's not peace. That's a truce. A temporary time where you both agree not to argue anymore. That's not peace. That's not peace. Here's another Quotation from that same source, peace cannot be determined by our own selfish viewpoints or biased needs. These are contemporary Jewish people defining this for us, and it's dead on. It can't be based on what I say it should be. I say peace is when you stop bothering me. Doesn't sound very Christian to me. Or when I finally get this paid off, or when I finally get that job, or when I finally move to the right area, or when I finally go to the right church, whatever it is. That's, man, that when it, it's when it's going to come. How many times do we have to learn that lesson? Aren't you glad he's patient? <laughs> I keep saying that because it's so true. I'm so glad he's patient with me. I love that one of his names is Jehovah Shalom. It's one of his names. That's how important. It's one of his names. So it means that the sole source of any kind of shalom ever in my life is going to come from him whose name is Jehovah Shalom. It's 
It's that same source again, quote for it, it is he who gives unity to the whole of creation. There is one day because of the matiates of the world, the futility of it, right? Remember Romans 8.20, the futility of the whole world groans, that whole issue. This is, this is the opposite. This is what shalom brings. It brings unity. You want to see unity in relationships? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. He is our peace. He tore down the wall of enmity that divides people. He brings them together. He doesn't separate them. We do that. This unity has to be pursued. It has to be pursued. The criteria for shalom, true peace then, they conclude, rests with God, end quote. Shalom, in another way of of looking at it, is a fully satisfied soul. You need nothing because you have forgiveness or you don't have shalom because you haven't reconciled. Why is true peace so hard to find then? Well, because of the fallen nature of our world, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. I don't like looking at certain verses in Romans chapter 5 because verse 10 says that we're the enemies of God. If you're an enemy of God, and that's what we're called, look it up. You're at war with him. Your fight, my friend, isn't with your spouse or your boss or any other person. You're at war with God. Yet, this amazing grace, this amazing grace of God that extends peace even to his enemies. You want to see that in the Old Testament? Isaiah 27, 5. Speaking to his enemies, the enemies of Israel, he's saying, let them lay hold of my protection. I'm an Israeli. I'm going, what did you say, Isaiah? You're talking about our enemies that would destroy us? Let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. He says it again. Let them make peace with me. Yes, you heard it right. My enemies, let them make peace with me. I didn't just come for you. I came for the whole world. I came for the Jew and the Gentile. All nations will come to me. Let them make peace with me. And how does that peace come? Through one. Through faith in one, recognizing that there's no way I can accomplish true peace in my life, myself, no matter what kind of circumstances I might be able to bring about. He says in Isaiah 40, 1 to 2, this is so beautiful. And we hear, you know, Handel's Messiah has this put to song and it's glorious. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her what? Listen, that her what? Warfare. That's you and I. Her warfare has what? Has ended. Her warfare is over. I'm sending the suffering servant. Messiah is coming. And her warfare is over. Your war the contention you have in this world, in this life that brings about that sort of fallen nature anxiety, it's over. 
So what happens when I'm still anxious or I'm still irritable or I'm still not content? You bring that on yourself. Or you don't have Christ, and I don't think you want the second choice. If you have Christ, you hold the key. It's faith in, in Christ. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Forgiveness is coming. The Prince of Peace has arrived. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son has been given. Philippians 4, 7 says that true peace comes from one source where Paul writes, he refers to it as the peace of God in our prayers when he's covering the whole, be anxious, don't be anxious, but by prayer and supplications, let these things be known to, made known to God and the God of peace will be with you. If you seek him recognizing I need him for peace, you'll meet him. He'll show up. McLaren said, the infinite divine willingness to be reconciled to the enemy speaks wooingly and offers conditions of peace, end quote. Who walks up to their enemies? Think of the current enemies in your life right now. Think of what's some of the things that they've done, either in personal betrayals to you or even in the Middle East or in Eastern Europe. The horrendous, the barbaric things done. He goes to them with an open hand and offers them peace. Who does that? He does. The God of peace does that. So God is the sole source of our salvation. All people need forgiveness. Because all men's desires is to have peace and there's only one way to achieve it and it comes through him alone. Isaiah 43, 11, I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no savior. Well, there it is. You're not going to find peace. You're not going to find peace because you haven't found salvation because salvation comes from one. It comes from God. It'll all, it only ever comes through God. There is salvation in, in no other on this earth. But Jesus Christ, as Peter pointed out in Acts 4.12, it's only through Christ. He says in Isaiah 45, 22 to 23, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Does that remind you of a New Testament verse? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. What does it confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> Amen. 
in spite of the vile accusations from Islam and other false religions. Jesus Christ is Lord. God's very nature compels him to make peace with his enemies. So we have to be willing to do the same. 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of what? For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of what? There, now I got your attention. Peace. Yep. Peace in relationships can only come through forgiveness and reconciliation. That's the take-home point for you. Peace in all relationships, vertically and horizontally, can only come by forgiveness. Man's greatest need through reconciliation, which happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. Coming there because of my great need for forgiveness, my desire to have peace. My greatest desire is to have peace. I can only have it through forgiveness. Forgiveness only comes through reconciliation. With God first, right? Now it's available. Now it's, but only then is it available for me to have reconciled peace with other human beings. You can't just say, oh, that's okay. That's not a reconciled relationship. Oh, that's all right. That's not a reconciled relationship. It's not reconciled. In the books and the records of God Almighty, that is an unreconciled relationship. And for the Christian who has the very means that cost Christ his life to be reconciled and they not take avail themselves of that means, he is displeased. And our life goes on being difficult. Judah had lost all of its freedom, all of its safety, all of its livelihood when they were invaded by the Babylonians, 605 to 586 B.C. Everything. Most of them were hauled off to Babylon. The ones that stayed there were like peasants and and so on, but they lost everything. They were filled with, you can imagine, terrifying fear, uncertainty, right? They don't know what's going to happen next. What are they going to do with us? So all of Judea, all the Judeans had no peace. God promised, however, to restore peace in Judah. Here's his promise. And you're familiar with Part of this passage, Isaiah 26, 1 to 4, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and as bulwarks. This is yet future. He's going to take care of this. He's going to make a way so that you have that security, so that you all can be brought together in harmonious unity. He's going to do that through salvation. That makes up the walls, the fortified bulwarks. The bulwarks are the fortifications on the wall. His salvation. Open the gates, verse 2, that the righteous nation that keeps faith, that's the contingency, that keeps faith, the righteous nation that keeps faith, because if they have faith, they are righteous people. 
but not righteous in and of themselves, right? Because we've been given Christ's righteousness. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We spent the hour talking about that this morning. Why? Because he trusts in you. Another synonym for faith or belief is trust. I trust exclusively in Christ when my world is falling apart and burning down around me. Yet will I stand, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That needs to be you and I going forward. Because if he slays us, where will we be? <laughs> Anything wrong with eternal bliss in perfected glory? Perfect, pure love? Singing and rejoicing from now to eternity? I say no. Nothing wrong with that at all. Verse 4, the conclusion. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The strength of this salvation that the Lord establishes, these fortified walls, are in that salvation that he provides. God must open the entrance. God is the one who opens the gates, but only to those who are of faith because they have the righteous garment of his son. It's as though the sentry standing at the gates has his own shibboleth for whether or not you're going to enter or not. He's looking for the right garment. It's like that wicked guy that showed up at the wedding and he didn't have the garment on. What's that garment? It's the garment of the righteousness of Christ covered in the blood of Christ that the Father has provided and he's watching for that. I'll not open these gates unless you wear the garment of my son. But it's hard to wear because there's a serious confession that has to be made there. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. He opens the gates to the righteousness who, the righteous one who keeps faith. McLaren said this, to show us, quote, the connection between faith and salvation. It is not the hand that grasps the altar that secures safety, but the altar itself. It is not the flight to the fortress, that's faith, but the massive walls themselves, which keeps those who hunt after the fugitive at bay. Who are those who hunt after the fugitive? Who are they? The world. Who's the fugitive? You and I, they want us back. You belong to us. Don't you remember how you used to live? You belong to us. And you run. And you run for that fortress, which is Christ. You run for those walls of salvation. You run by faith. Why? Why do I have to run? I don't like running. 
Because it takes effort. It takes effort. And the world wants you back. Satan wants you back. Don't do it. He wants you back. Do you remember Exodus 10? So Pharaoh had let the people of Israel go, and they left, and all the firstborn died. Remember that whole thing? Passover. They all escape. And then Pharaoh thinks he gets mocked about it. You're going to let them kill your, your firstborn son and all the firstborn sons? You're just going to let these Hebrews go? They're slaves. And he, what happens? What wells up in him? What do we call it around here? Pride. And he comes back. He arms him. He says, strap on that sword. Get that chariot out. Hook it up to the horse. We're going after him. That's what we're talking about here. He wants you back. If he can't have you back, he wants you miserable. He wants you irritable. He wants you disconnected, discontented rather. He wants you complaining. He wants you murmuring. He wants you jealous. He wants you gossiping about this one. He wants you, that's how he, he'll take, I'll take whatever I can get, but he's after you. And you as a fugitive, as McLaren put it, you as a fugitive are bolting for that bulwark, that fortress, that rock. That's the idea. It's not my faith, McLaren writes, but the God on whom my faith fastens. Notice the word fastens. Why do you have to clutch him? Because if we don't grab on with all our might, if we aren't making an effort here, if we aren't making a full-throated effort here to grab a hold of that, that pursuit of peace which is found in faith in Christ and him alone, if I don't stay there, if I don't clutch the cross, if I don't lay down at his feet and look to him always, my peace is in jeopardy. My faith gets weak. Peace comes to mankind in a person, not a circumstance. And that person is Jesus Christ. It comes in a person, and that person provides it for us. Perfect peace. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. Don't let go. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. To you or your family, loved ones, you don't know what's going to happen to the country. You don't know what's going to happen. He has it that way, God does, to test what? Your faith. Will you look to me? I am the Lord your God. Is there anything that's too difficult for me? Secured by grace. This is our salvation. This is the fortress secured by faith in Jesus Christ who paid for our sin so we could receive his righteousness. So verse 1 of Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There it is. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The effect of righteousness will be peace. That's what he said in Isaiah 32, 17. Isaiah. I don't trust my memory on it. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, if you had paid attention to my commandments, your peace would be like a river. Sound like a song? That's where it comes from. Your peace would be like a river and your righteousness. They go together. Always remember that. If you're lacking peace, look at where righteousness is faltering, the practical outworking of your righteousness in your thought life or in your actions, things you're saying. And your righteousness like the sea. Oh, that you'd have paid attention. This is the heart cry of a, of a God who loves his people. Had you paid attention to my commandments, it, your peace would have been like a river. Always flowing. Always coming. Always going. And your righteousness would be as formidable as the sea itself. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6, yeah? They, they, they perish and they don't, and they need not perish. True peace is a matter of righteousness and faith. It's a, it's a matter of belief and trust. True peace is a matter of mental determination. Their minds are fixed on him, the sole source of our peace, and willful pursuit, endurance, and perseverance. I have to bear up under these difficult circumstances while I'm called to keep persevering with my faith. But this isn't working out. It's not working out. But keep walking. Keep walking. I will bear you up. I will carry you if I have to. Don't lose faith. Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For you have a reward. Do we believe? Do we believe that? Do we trust it is another matter? Isn't it? So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. It doesn't just appear because we stopped arguing. <laughs> or fighting, or worrying about getting a different job, or moving to a different house, or church, or whatever. We have to make peace. Then you're the son of God. What's the son of anything? In other words, you take on his characteristics because you pursue peace. You do the work of pursuing peace. Romans 14, 17 and 19. Such an important passage on this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and what? And peace and joy. Aren't you glad that's thrown in there? I am. 
We have no reason not to be in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ. So, oh, this means I have to serve. What do you mean? You have to serve the purposes of Christ. That is to demonstrate that you're a person who has a peace, a peace that violates our ability to understand it. A peace that we don't know where it comes from other than to say it comes from him. But I don't know how I was able to get to this because I've been dithering over this for so long. But I looked to him. Verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us, what's the next word? Pursue. Let us pursue the important operative word as we go into a new year. The pursuit of peace. Let's pursue what makes for peace. Oh, so there's a certain protocol. There's a certain something that we, yes, Yes, because in our natural fallen state, we're rascals. We need to actually do the work of, of holding on to peace. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are supposed to be dying to ourself, stop thinking about yourself and your miserable circumstances, and instead... Speak words of edification. Isn't that Ephesians 4.29? Don't let any unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for what? Edification, that's right. In the need of the moment that you might administer grace to that person. That's what we're supposed to look like. That's what we need to look like going into next year. Speaking words of edification, not words of a division. Not words that betray a heart that lacks peace that has a faltering, weak faith, but is strong, that stands strong, endures, and perseveres, doesn't grow weary in persevering. This, this expression in the Greek, diokomen, let us pursue. It's plural in number, okay? We're not gonna, we're not, very, very brief Greek lesson, but it's important. Plural in number, that means he's talking to all of us, right? It's plural in number. It's present tense, so that means when, like now. And if we find ourselves in the next hour, it's now. Yeah, it's always, it's always now. It's active voice. That means the subject performs the action. The person he's talking to, this is you, tag, you're it. You have to do the work of peacemaking, and it's work. Oh, believe me, it's work. The subject performs the act, and it's actually a subjunctive mood, all right? What that means is action represented as contingent, probable, or eventual. That's absolutely perfect in peacemaking because you don't always get it, but you're still to pursue it. It's contingent on things. Absolutely right. This is perfect in our experience with peacemaking. It's contingent. It's probable. If it was certain, it would be an indicative. This will certainly happen every time. Does it happen every time? No, it doesn't. And we, and we grieve. We do all that we can to come to Scripture and see what it says to make for peace. And it fails sometimes. 
it fails. We can't even fully define what caused it to fail except to look at ourselves and say, well, I know I could have done better at this or I could have done whatever it is. We need to learn from that going into 2024 and we need to improve this so we don't have the same issues we had before. Are you with me? Yes. Praise the Lord. I thank God for you because <laughs> I'm going to need you. <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. Romans 12, 18, right? If possible. Do you remember the rest of it? If possible. Let me give you another clause. So far as it depends on you, what? Live peaceably with all. You know the scriptures, don't you? She's amazing. She's out there mouthing the words. She's not even looking at her Bible. I have to look at my Bible. You're a blessing, dear lady. If possible. Thank you. Thank you. You, you, just, you gave me hope because it doesn't always work out. And God is saying, I know. I know. There's a very serious and complex reason why my son had to die a gruesome death on the cross. Don't ever underestimate this. But he died for the sake of peace, for the sake of unity, for shalom, for the sake of harmony. We should never presume upon that. We need to take this seriously going forward. If we all take it seriously and help one another to do it through transparency. Did you hear that word? Mm -hmm. Through transparency, we help each other with this. Going to one another. As Matthew 18 says, we go to one another. Right? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> but it's good. It's a good ouch. I needed to hear that. I do, <laughs> yeah, quit picking on me. Yes, I got schooled this morning by a well-meaning, loving young lady. <clears throat> Thank you, I say publicly. Peacemaking requires two things. Internal desire and intentional act, action. It's not going to happen any other way. You have to desire it and you have to do the work of it or it's not going to happen. You know where I'm getting that from? Psalm 34, 14. What complex, long phrase is this? What long treatment is this? Seek peace and pursue it. <laughs> Don't you love it when, when Scripture is succinct? It's like, okay, all right. You have to really desire it. You've got to want it. And, and, and if you don't want it that much, you're not going to last in the work that it's going to take to get it. Right? Yeah. It takes work. I'm so thankful for the saints, aren't you, that have the gray hair. This is blonde. Just don't be confused. All right? that have the gray hair because they can, they say amen to the, they can help us understand this is what it's going to take. It doesn't surprise them anymore. Yes, I see the snowy, the, <laughs> she's pointing, she's pointing at your head, Ray. She, <laughs> he's like, I'm used to it. <laughs> Love you guys. Love you guys. You're, you're, you're so precious to it and valuable, right? We don't warehouse people that are somewhere north of 60 years old. We tap in. 
We tap into that. They've been through this 90 ways to something. They've been through this over and over. They're not casual and relaxed and calm about these things because, the, boy, you must not have gone through it. No, it's been through, we've been through it 100 times. And guess what? We came out fine. Why? Because of Christ. Because our contentment rests in him. Our, our belief, our faith is strong. We'd be fools not to learn. The lessons here, seek peace and pursue it. You have to have that desire. I like what Spurgeon says on these two statements from Psalm 34, 14. Seek peace. Not, quote, not, mere, not merely prefer it. Boy, it'd be nice if we had peace. But with zeal and care, endeavor to promote it. Peace with God, with thine own heart, with thy fellow man. Search after this as the merchantman after a precious pearl. Nothing can more effectively promote our own happiness than peace. You want happiness? Pursue peace. Look for it in Christ and what he's, how he's directing you and guiding you in his word. You'll find peace. Remember, it always necessarily comes with a righteous pursuit, a pursuit to do things right according to the righteous garment that you wear. He goes on, strife awakens passions. Oh, yeah. When, which eat into the heart with corroding power. Anger is murder to one's own self as well as to its objects. And pursue it, hunt after it. Chase it with eager desire. It may soon be lost. Indeed, nothing is harder to retain, but do your best. And if hostility should arise, let it be no fault of yours. Follow after peace when it shuns you. When they reject it, pursue it anyway. If they don't even want to see, if they won't even, don't even show up at my door, don't call me. What do they call it? You cancel them or whatever, right? No, you're dead to me. Don't, well then, do you stop at that point? They won't see me anymore. They don't want to talk about it. No, what do you do? Go to the throne, not the phone. You go to the throne in prayer. Right? Instead of getting on the phone to gossip about this person who just won't accept your wonderful virtue of trying to be a peacemaker. Can you believe it? So-and-so won't see me anymore. They won't want to talk about it. Stop virtue signaling, please. Everybody knows your per virtue signaling. Don't do that. That's what Facebook is filled with. I can't even look at it anymore. He goes on, be resolved not to be of a contentious spirit. Hmm. That's going to be hard for some of us. <laughs> this peace which you thus promote will be returned to your own bosom and be a perennial, that means indefinite or eternal, spring of comfort to you, end quote. That's where your comfort's going to come from, your pursuit of peace. Hebrews 12, first part, puts it even plainer. Strive for peace. Strive for peace. I don't know, there may be in the scripture somewhere where it says pray for peace, and we certainly should pray for peace. What I see is strive, pursue, run after. Why? This word strive comes from that same root Greek word dioko that our other term uh, came from 
from Romans 14, let us pursue, strive, comes from that same root. This one is a plural, present, active imperative. This is a command. It's a command. You need to strive for peace. And in that verse, it says there's two things there. And what else? Holiness. That's the righteous part. They always go together. Strive for peace and for holiness, apart from which, if you don't have it, what? You won't see God. You're not going to see him. You can't have it your way. You got to do it his. He's going to prove to us over and over, no matter how many times he's got to hit us on the kneecaps, we're going to do this my way, not yours. It means to run, to pursue. So we don't give up. We don't quit. We don't yield to the passions of the flesh that would like to argue, fight, debate, be found right. Right fighting, as we refer to it. Fight hard against the flesh. Vigorously pursue peace and holiness. And watch what happens. This needs to be our coming year, folks. Mind over matters. We have to exercise our mind, anchoring them to the Christ who provides the peace. That's what we learn from Isaiah 26. It's the mind, one writer said, it's the mind that cleaves to God which God keeps in this perfect peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see this repeated over and over. McLaren again, for dear brethren, the possession of this deep, unbroken peace does not depend on the absence of conflict, on distraction, trouble, or sorrow, but on the presence of God. Keep him present. How do you keep him present? You engage your mind. The phreneo category of Greek words is like a bear trap. You think on these things. You grab a hold of the thought of Christ. You focus on Christ. You're in his word. You're letting him reveal himself to you and you don't let go. And then you have a peace that surpasses understanding. It's from the presence of God, he writes. If we're in touch with him, he goes on, then our troubled days may be calm and beneath all the surface tumult there may be a center of rest. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Yehovah, Yah, Yehovah. There's only two places in the Old Testament that it makes that doubled up statement. This is how important it is. Yehovah, Yah, Yehovah. The Lord, Yehovah, forever. Trust in him forever. And then for the Yah, Yehovah, is an everlasting rock. This is powerful Hebraic writing. Powerful. McLaren wrote, Yehovah, in its literal grammatical signification, puts emphasis upon the absolute, underived, unlimited, unchangeable, eternal being of God. God is what he is and is because he is. Changeless and eternal he is forever. In that name is the rock of ages. End quote. Isn't that wonderful? 
Is it safe to put our trust in this God? Yes. There's two legs. We finish up with this this morning. Two legs that are needed to walk to the cross to find forgiveness and reconciliation. They are humility and love. Humility and love. I have to humble myself to recognize where my failures, sins, transgressions are. Yes, Lord, these things are true of me. That's humility. The other leg is love. Because I love you, Lord. Because I love God and I love other people. I'm going to walk to the cross for reconciliation. I'm going to walk to the cross and the only way I'll make that journey is on those two legs. And that way is narrow. Few there are that find it because few there are that will humble themselves to recognize the condition that necessitates they get themselves to the cross. But the motive for it couldn't be better. It's love. It's love. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, this kind of peace, shalom, the kind secured by Christ, unifies. It doesn't split apart. I have some other passages, but we need to close. You can look at Colossians 3, 12 to 15, James 3, 17 and 8 to 18, and 1 Peter 3, 8 to 11. Wonderful explanations of who we are to be and what's available to us in this life. But let me just end with 2 Corinthians 13 in a closing benediction to you. Verse 11 and verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is my hope for us in this new year, that we would be filled with, how about we just pick the first three of the nine listed that are fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, and peace. Will we have any of those effortlessly? No. It's going to take great effort to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love each other as we love ourselves. To be filled with joy. Rejoice, and again, Paul says, rejoice. We have so much to be thankful for. For all that God has accomplished has great purpose. We define it as good or bad, but it's all defined as good in God's eyes because he ordained it. Let's find ourselves in peace and exercising those things that make for peace in this coming year. Father, thank you so much for being here with us today.
that we might know peace going into the new year. We thank you, Lord. Your scriptures are thorough, thorough on this topic. We, we, it's inexhaustible. We could keep going, but time doesn't allow. So we thank you for the inexhaustibility of your, of your word, that it is infinite and eternal. So help us, Lord, to walk in peace, to walk in love, hearts filled with joy, the joy of our salvation. And if anyone has struggled, anyone is grieving even now as they hear this sermon, not having experienced peace, even in the midst of struggle, I pray that they come to you now and confess to you. Confess the things that have prevented them from knowing this kind of peace, a peace that surpasses understanding that comes from you and you alone. May they come to you to seek forgiveness and be reconciled, but only will they arrive at the cross if it's with humility and with love. 